I think this, this was my week. Next week was Angus's week to teach, and he's got his seminars. I'm teaching two weeks in a row. Okay. All right. So for my high tech of Luke 5 through 8, remember where we've kind of been in Luke? He's, uh, Luke's telling the story of Jesus as the universal Messiah. All right. One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee. It's one of those places that has multiple names. So he's not gone somewhere new here. Uh, and people were standing around and listening to the word. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Uh, so we know this is uh, generally speaking in the morning because they tend to fish late night, early morning-ish because that's where the, where the fish come to the surface in the Lake of Galilee. One belonged to Simon. Uh, remember, we've already met Simon because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So Simon, this is not like Jesus. When I was younger, I thought, you just walked up to these guys and they automatically said, oh yeah, sure. Jesus knows Simon, Simon knows Jesus. So this is not like, oh, surprise. Oh, Jesus shows up, okay. Yeah, can I borrow your boat? Yes. Uh, and go out to the deep water. Uh, and so basically he sat down and talked to people from the boat. Uh, also, around Lake Galley, very, uh, very typical way to do it because you can get out there and people in the shore and they can hear you. Uh, and then you have the, the miracle here uh, we've not caught anything, uh, and again, it's during the he's taught all day, so now it's kind of the afternoon, which is not when you catch fish. And so he's put the nets down so much, so he called his partners, they came out, and both boats were almost full to the sinking point. Clearly they did not sink, because otherwise it would be short four apostles. Uh, and uh, Simon Peter... Jesus and he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Again, recognizing that this was not a normal activity. This come from, comes from God. So they were astonished, and so were James and John, son of Zebedee, who are Simon's partners. And then, don't be afraid, from now on you are fish for people. So they put the board, boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So again, this is not, remember, this is not today, the first time I ever met Jesus, I'm going to follow him. Uh, James and Andrew were disciples of John the Baptist who met Jesus at his baptism and followed him back to Galilee. So this is not, like I said, but the, so obviously they've been thinking about this, they've been following Jesus, this is Capernaum, where Jesus is based, you know, he's healing people by the thousands at this point. Uh, so he's starting to collect his group of disciples. While Jesus was in town, a man came along and was covered with leprosy. Sometimes we think Luke jumps around a lot. It's not like it goes here, here, and here. He, he's not. He has, has an overarching uh, goal for his book. Uh, he saw Jesus, fell on his face, and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus made Jesus healing by this time. This is not... You know, a guy randomly come up, he knows Jesus is there. And in the book of Luke, Jesus breaks all the rules all the time. Uh, leprosy, you don't touch them. In, the, in Judaism, they were unclean, you did not touch them. If you touched them, you became unclean, and you had to go to the temple and, and 
give sacrifices, bet them and make fun. Seven times, I think it's seven times. And then go to a priest to prove that you didn't have leprosy. So Jesus reaches out and touches him. He says, I am willing. I'll be clean. Boom, done. Uh, now don't go tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, all the sacrifices that Moses commanded as a testimony. But as you as you go through this book and the other synoptic gospels, nobody ever doesn't tell anybody. It's like a double negative. You know, if you're healed, you're telling everybody. Uh, and so that's what, you know, this guy will tell, because we know he starts telling people because who shows up next. Uh, but the, new, the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear, hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. As we talked about, he would withdraw to recharge. Uh, so basically, people are coming because they want to be healed. Because he is, you know, we call him the great physician, but he is, he's healing everyone as they come around. All right. We look at this as two different. He is throwing out demons and he's healing disease. To the people of the first century, he's doing the same thing every time. Because uh, I can tell you, as I go around the world doing healthcare, this is still widely followed today. Spirit theory of disease. All disease comes from evil spirits. Uh, some spirits are more powerful than the others. Water spirits are very powerful. And so what, to the people of the first century, Jesus, no matter what he's doing, he's casting out demons. When he's healing people, he's just merely casting out the sickness demon. When he's casting out the demons who speak, uh, we're going to get to the man in Gensera uh, here in a minute. Uh, he's, his demons are demons. They're just showing Jesus' power over demons. I mean, uh, uh, in Africa, in uh, October when we were there, uh, we had a boy who had some burns on his buttocks. And so we treated the boy, we treated him. We kept him clean, we put on uh, silvadine, put it close to dressings. They were cleaned up great. We sent him back to his village. He gets to his village, his mother and dad said, ooh, I'm not 100% sure the Americans got all the, the spirits out. So I'm going to go to my spiritual healer in the village who is going to remove the rest of the, the demons. And so he put some concoction that managed to convert a first degree burn to a third degree burn. Uh, and so then the parents brought it back to us and said, we're, we're not sure about this. We're not sure that he got all the demons out. And that's literally what they said. They did, may not have gotten all the demons out. Because the guy, what we call the witch doctor, uh, spiritual doctor, tried to get the demon, the injury demons out and did not succeed. So I mean, so in the world today, this is very widely. Well, there's, there's even a prevalent thread of this in American charismatic Christianity. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because uh, and, the, and the water spirits is what tipped me off because I was because there have been some things from charismatic leaders that have crept some of their language that has crept into the mainstream and people are listening to that and going what in the world are they talking about and as you look there are books and sermons I mean, and, and it is especially the water spirits for some reason 
right now. And, and, and that's the thing. The water spirits are like the really powerful spirits. But uh, like major charismatic figures are really big into the idea of battling the water spirits. Yeah, it's interesting how much that rolls down. Because you look at the Old Testament, the whole book of Jonah revolves around the powerful water spirit. Uh, I mean, God tells him to go, and he goes, I'm going on the sea. Because God is not as powerful on the sea as he is on the land. And God's a no problem. <laughs> That's Jonah in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Well, like, with the water, like, is the whole thing on the water spirit basically the idea of cholera and water ruling diseases? Or what is that and all? I don't, I don't think so. I, I think it's more of, uh, it's rooted in like ancient Hebrew thought of, you know, and God divided the, the land from the, the waters. Like, and it's that water's, water is meant to be this force of chaos and evil that's overcome by God's creative power. You know, and like they're, they're very much afraid of Mediterranean Sea and, and things. So it's, it's not dealing with disease so much, but very much a spiritual. Yeah, and we'll see this, uh, you know, we saw that when the storm Paul comes up and Jesus calms the storm. That's a water spirit. That's very powerful. And so to the people around the sea, that's a very powerful uh, miracle because to him, the water, to them, the water spirits are very powerful. He, he tells them, washed out into the deep. Yeah. You didn't go in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Right. On purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, a lot of these guys didn't swim. You know, a lot of us, we grew up in Hawaii, you know, we all swam. Hey, I'm going to swim to shore. A lot of the, the vast majority of these people don't swim. Because we have the ability, to, you know, we tell them I'm going to swim to shore if I fall in. These guys fall in, they drown. Even, even in the, uh, the sailors who were out in the Mediterranean, almost none of them swam. Well, I mean, if you're in the middle of the sea at yeah. midnight and there's a storm, it doesn't really matter. It, doesn't, it does not have a good swim, yes. It just gets you about a mile closer to shore before you drown. <laughs> but yeah, but so, but so when you go through Luke and you go through all the Gnostic Gospels, keep this as your background. We tend to view this with our 21st century lens, which is about germ theory and disease and viruses and bacteria. They're not thinking that. They're thinking demons. Demon, health demons are what's coming up. Uh, and so you'll see that again as we go through this book. A lot of stuff occurs around water. Uh, and, and we talk, it talks about that. All right. This is how we know that uh, at this point, he just started his ministry. But the word is already spread to Jerusalem. Uh, one day Jesus would teach that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee, and were up north, uh, from Judea and Jerusalem. So the guys from the headquarter church had come to check him out. Uh, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Uh, and this is the story of the paralyzed man. Uh, as, we, as we learned in Mark last uh, semester, this is Jesus' house, by the way. This is the house that Jesus is living in. So he's here, and so when they come and take the roof apart, they're taking Jesus' roof apart. Uh, and they lowered his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith, and he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, if to the Pharisee, we're talking about Jesus is a lot of stuff that's against 
the power structure. This is like raising the, the red flag to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Only because of what this said. Who is this who speaks blasphemy? What is the, what is the Old Testament uh, penalty for blasphemy? Stoning. You should stone them to death. So that's what they're saying here. Is Jesus is committing a capital crime. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because again, Jesus is telling them I'm God, but they're not recognize that. They understand the Messiah is going to be from God, but a lot of their minds that the Messiah is going to be like a prophet, like Isaiah, or uh, you know, Ezekiel, or Elisha, or Elijah. So is he telling, at, at this point, is he telling them that he's God, or is he just, I mean, because he, he, he's, he's not actually saying I am this, but he is doing the thing Things and saying the things that God would right. do, he does, but he, when, but when, but but what I've seen is when somebody comes out and says, "Hey, wait a minute, you're God," he sends them away, tells them to be quiet, gets out of dodge. Right, because part of part of what he's doing is, if you are God, we're going to announce it. It comes down to what they think God should be, which is the king who's going to kick the problems out. Correct, right. and so. He, all the gospels are him saying, "What you think I'm supposed to do is not what I'm actually here for. Yeah. What I'm here for is this. And you want me to do this. So that's a lot of times when people say, because uh, in not in the Stock Gospel, but John, at this exact time, it says Jesus went from the people because they wanted to make him king. Right. Uh, that's exactly what they want. They wanted to make him. In their mind, the Messiah was the king. The Jews are going to be free again. Uh, and so now he's playing with them on a theological level here. Uh, and so he's he's doing the things the Messiah is supposed to do. He's, the demons are recognizing him for God. Uh, you would think the people of the Bible who study the Bible, memorize the Bible, would recognize him and go, oh, he's doing these things. Therefore, he has to be Messiah, which is God. Uh, they do not. Uh, he knew what they were thinking. Because they're thinking to themselves, they're, they're not like telling Jesus, they're talking amongst themselves, of, wait a minute, who is this guy? And so Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. Uh, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? I mean, obviously, you know, because you can't see sins, your sins are forgiven. I can say that all day. But uh, get up and walk? So he, he looks at the guy and says, tell you, get up your mat, go home. And he stands up and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. The Pharisees aren't saying that. Other people are saying that. Uh, and then... Again, Jesus started to collect his people. We talk about the fact that when you see, in Luke, you see him go to the underclass first. Uh, and Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Remember, he's in Capernaum, which is the, uh, the border between uh, Agrippa and Philip. That's where you collected taxes. When you cross the borders, you have to pay taxes. The, um, if, if, if you go to that area, the main road from Damascus all the way to right there. It'd be Capernaum, but they'd have like a few steps away would be the road, and they'd have a tax booth there catching the That's right. It's all about the roads. You're paying taxes. So uh, this is Levi is also the Matthew. The Matthew writes the book of Matthew. Uh, and then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were, were eating with him. Uh, again, this is like, for the Pharisees, it's on penalty flags here. Because A, he's consorting with sinners. Worse sinners than the Romans were the Jews who worked for the Romans. That's Levi. That's Matthew. Uh, and all the others are with him. And he says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, it's not the healthy need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This again, this is a restatement of Jesus' mission on earth. Is that you know? If you're righteous, I you know God. You're doing what God says. You don't need to know me because you already you already know me because I am God and God is me. So he is. We're starting to see the uh, schism between the mainline power, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and Jesus at this point. They, they initially think he's one of them, and now he's starting to peel off. Uh, he's putting distance between himself and them by saying, this is what I'm here for. This is a, a table scene in Luke also. It's, right. There's a lot of banquets and eating at the table in Luke. And a lot, a lot of his teaching occurs around meals and tables. Uh, if you're interested in that, Josh Graves has a book he wrote on that about the. It's called the Feast. He wrote about ten years ago or something, and he goes through all the different table scenes in Luke. And I do want to break to you. Chick Fil A is not a book of Luke. <laughs> no. I, I know everyone thinks that it probably was there. This may be the original Chick Fil A. I'm not sure, <laughs> but. Right. Uh, right. Uh, because what we also know this is not this is oh, this could, it could be a Sunday I don't know it's not a Saturday it could be Sunday so it's not Chick Fil A and then they said to him uh, the Pharisees are gone they're not happy with him uh, John's disciples also fast and pray and so the disciples of the Pharisees but yours go out eating and drinking there's only two mandatory fasts in uh, the Jewish religion in the Old Testament. By this time, however, the Pharisees just they, they, they pile different laws on in order to keep you from accidentally breaking law. So by this time, the Pharisees are fasting every Monday and Thursday. In addition to certain Saturdays and some Fridays, and so they have all these fasts that they've layered on people. And that's what they talk about. So Remember, John's disciples are primarily, uh, they come all works, but where he is preaching uh, is the Essenes. And the Essenes and the Pharisees came out of the same background. 
So they have a lot of things in common. Among that, are fasting and praying. Uh, and so that's so John stops the Pharisees. There wouldn't be a large distance between love and behavior. Uh, and Jesus then answers them, "Can you make friends with the bride? Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But in time will come the bridegroom was taken from them. In those days they will fast." Because you you fasted when you uh, were basically sorrowful for, for something. And so that's what Jesus is hinting at right here, that he's not going to be here forever. All the apostles at this point still think he's going to be king. Everyone thinks he's going to be king. Uh, and another parable. Luke has lots and lots of parables. It's the book of parables. Uh, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to pass the old. Otherwise, when they have torn the new garment and patching from the new will not match the old. Which makes sense. Uh, except if you, you know, in Europe, like all of us, you had patches on your knees or your jeans when you wore them out. And say so you knew you were going to have old jeans. Uh, no one pours new wine into old wine skins. The new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the skins will be ruined. New wine must be poured into new wine skins. And no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, for they said the old was better. And that, I mean, these are just some, these are actually rabbinical sayings of this time. So he's actually telling them what they already, what they say and what they already know. And so continuing on, Jesus breaking the rules. Uh, one Sabbath, they were going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick the heads of grain rather than their hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Again, there are some simple rules. The, the Pharisees have layered rules upon rules upon rules on the Sabbath. Uh, and so Jesus always cuts right to the chase and pulls something out of the Old Testament that all the Pharisees would not avoid. Because who's the greatest king? Of, who's the greatest king of the Jews? David. David. So he immediately pulls David out. It says, "Have you never read what David did when his companions were hungry?" Of course, the Pharisees knew this. They know this story. They read this book all the time. Uh, so he's actually insulting them. That you know, like, wait a minute, don't you remember this? Uh, he he went to the if you remember the story, he goes into the tabernacle, he eats the consecrated bread, uh, and he gave some to his companions and says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, so who in the Pharisee, who in the Pharisees is the Lord of the Sabbath? We're, we're getting back to what Jesus starts hinting at here that they should pick up. It's God. So Jesus is starting to to pretty directly talk, tell them, no, I, I am God. I'm healing sins. I'm healing everybody. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So this is a, a the Lord of the Sabbath is a, a title that Messiah was going to have. So he, he's pretty getting pretty uh, explicit here saying who, who he is. And then on another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man whose right hand was shriveled. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking at a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him close to see if he could heal on the Sabbath. 
They knew he was going to do this because he always does this. When he comes across people that need help, he helps them. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said to the man, stand up in front of everybody. He's not doing this in secret. Uh, and Jesus said, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or do evil, to save life or destroy it? Uh, the leading rabbis of the time all talk about, yes, if it's on the Sabbath, you... There were two major schools of thought. One school of thought was you need to save life on the Sabbath. The other school of thought, super legalistic thought, is that now, if someone's dying, I can't test them on the Sabbath because I'm dedicated to God. And so what Jesus is saying here is he, he's pushing them to make a choice of which one they're going to do. Uh, the uh, most common is Gamaliel who says, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're if you walk, if you let your mule out or your uh, sheep out to graze and it falls into a ditch, you're allowed to take it out of the ditch on the Sabbath. He writes about that. Uh, and so that's kind of the background of what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, and so, I mean, to us, it's clear. You, you do good. I mean, and that, he really frames this argument. And is it good or evil? Is it save life or destroy life? Because, you know, all these guys, they, they get into these little side arguments about, you know, how do I, am I honoring God or dishonoring God? Uh, is, you know, the word of, is God more powerful than life? If God wants if God wants to save the life of this person who's dying, then God can do it. Because my job, this comes up when we, when we get to the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. A lot of that is layered into that as well. Uh, and so he looked at him and said, stretch out your hand. And we did so, he was completely restored another healing in the Sabbath in a, in a synagogue. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. So this is the beginning of uh, the, the complete schism between the Pharisees and what Jesus is teaching. And one of those days he went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And the morning came, he called the disciples and chose 12 of them, which is the designated as the apostles. Uh, Simon, which we know is Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Matthew, Matthew, Thomas, James, again, uh, another Simon, who's called the Zealot, uh, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Remember, this is written 30 years afterwards, so when Jesus called him, he was not Judas Iscariot, the traitor. Uh, he was just scared. Interesting enough, when you look at names of what these guys, Judas is Iscariot. This Judas is probably the only guy from the area of Judah. The rest of them are thought to be from Galilee. Uh, and then Judas Iscariot is either, there's lots of arguments over his last name, it's either the town he is from, or there is a group of uh, Remember the, the four political groups, the Essenes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Zealots. There's a group of Zealots called the Scarlassies, Scarlassi, which translates to Iscariot, uh, which means knives. Uh, they were primarily assassins that would uh, wait, and they, their job was they would find Romans who were off by themselves and kill them. They, 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 stirred up, they were stirring up trouble. 
so it is possible that that is what is like what the scary means. Uh, and so that would make him a zealot. We know so more than uh, we know Simon is called the zealot. We know Simon Peter is a zealot because when it comes when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, who's the only guy wearing a sword? Peter. Who's the only guy who carried a sword in those days? Because swords were illegal. That's like in the license guy today. Uh, if the Romans caught, caught you with a sword, that was, they had lots of rules about that, but basically that was a, a uh, capital offense if you're carrying a sword around. Because that would be a, uh, only rebels would carry swords. People, other people, you carry knives, but you didn't carry swords, because that's a weapon of war. So Peter, some of Peter has one in the Garden of Senate. So some of these guys are probably zealots. Uh, James and John, uh, the sons of thunder. What, another way to interpret that is they're, they're zealots. So, and a lot of guys up in Dallas, uh, I mean, there's a lot of zealots around because they wanted uh, Israel to be free again. Uh, is a, tw tw a 12 is an interesting reconstitution, reconstituting. It's, it's uh, to the Jews. It's the twelve tribes. Twelve tribes. So he's speaking right to to, to the Israelites, even though this is written to. Uh, but remember, at this point, yeah. Jesus is only talking. Well, he's mostly talking to the Israelites. He, now he he is a, a he cures whoever comes up, and then he and remember in the book of Luke, almost everything that he does to a Jew, he'll do to a Gentile. So you see this mirror throughout the whole thing. Do you think he chose, one reason he chose the disciples is because he knew they were planning to kill him. Well, he, he knows from the get-go that he's going to die because he has to. And so he is, he's developing this cadre of leaders that are going to take the church on. Or, or take the way on uh, when he's gone. Because he knows he's going back to God. He knows he's going to die, he's going back to God. Because he tells them about it. They don't believe me, but he tells them about it multiple times. But I, yeah, I the way it's written, they can go out and do something else, but then you get rid of it, and then the next paragraph, he chooses the. Well, yeah, this is Luke, because you know, Luke, Luke knows what happens. He's telling the story after the fact. And so, yeah, he's. He, he knows, because who, who actually ends up getting Jesus? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, and so he really, he's, he's telling the story, that story arc is headed that direction. Because that's the, the end of the book. Uh, th this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount coming up. Uh, Winter level plays, people from all over Judea, Jerusalem, the coast region, Tyre, Sidon, members Tyre and Sidon are non-Jewish areas. So it tells you how much his fame spread. And these are not, these are like days walk from where he's at. A long walks. These are, these are five to ten day walks. Uh, and they came to hear him and be healed of the diseases, because everybody knows about it. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured. 
And all the people tried to touch him because the power was coming from him and healing them all. Uh, that tells you just kind of how uh, everything was going is that people recognized him all over that he, would, he was a healer. Uh, and then so he starts looking at the disciples and said, you know, blessed are the poor for those kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who hunger, you'll be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep, you'll laugh. Blessed are those people who hate you because of the Son of Man. Now, we, we like to take this one out. Uh, blessed are those who hate you. That's not the reason. You don't hate you because of the way you behave. They hate you because you're a disciple of the Son of Man. You, you'll see that taken out of context a lot. Uh, when people behave in ways that make people not like them. Rejoice not they and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. Because that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. When you look at being a prophet and apostle is not a long-term, uh, a good long-term job. Uh, we, we just, Jay and I just saw Jesus Christ Superstar last night. There's a song about all the apostles going, I always want to be an apostle. I want to, you know, when I retire, I'm going to write the gospel. No, uh, other than John, none of the apostles retired. Uh, you know, James is killed two years after Jesus goes back to heaven or less. Uh, the rest, you know, uh, around this time, the writing this letter, Peter and Paul are about to die. Uh, you know, John's the only one, as far as we can tell. He gets to go to an island. He gets to go to an island. 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 And, uh, now, he is, he is quarantined on the island. He's, he's, a, he's, a, prisoner, he's but... a prisoner. But <laughs> he does get to live. He lives until the 90s. Uh, so... Uh, so being an apostle prophet is not a great thing. Uh, and then, woe to you who are rich, for you receive the covenant. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh. Woe to you who speaks well in you. For that's how ancestors treated the false prophets. Uh, he's flipping everything over at this point. Uh, remember, the underlying theology at this point is prosperity theology which is rich is godly, righteous, and blessed. Poor is sinful, evil, and cursed. What's Jesus say? Exactly the opposite. He's saying if you're rich, you know, you're not godly. If you're well-fed, you'll go hungry. He's, he's basically flipping the whole social structure of strata on its head at this point. And because, you know, when you look at the, the Gospel of Luke, who does Jesus go to first? We talked about the He starts with the shepherds at the bottom of the pile. And everyone he keeps going to is down here at the bottom. He's not going to uh, the kings and the princes. He's going down here to the, the everyday common man. Which in their theology was the sinners. Which... Jews of theology, everyone's a sinner. So, and he says, "Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse, and pray for mistreat you." If someone slaps them, he is going directly at the Romans here, uh, because in this period of time, uh, the Romans could uh, do stuff like uh, if a Roman assaulted you, a soldier, you could not defend yourself. Uh, if they curse you, if they you love your enemies, that's Rome. Uh, you know they could compel you. Another province, you know, a man that asks you to go a mile or two miles, they could compel you to work for them for free. Uh, there's a lot. 
It's good when you're on top. There's a lot of people who work for you. And then he talks about, if you love those who love you, what credit is it? Even sinners love those who love them. Uh, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit? Even sinners do that. If you lend for those who expect repayment, what credit is it? Because it's like you're, you're not risking anything. God puts you down here to risk and to take care of people. Uh, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Love your enemies, do good, and lend to them without expecting anything back. The reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is grateful to the unkind and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father's way. This gets back to that thing we talked about. Jesus, Jesus is sent to the, what we call the social justice. He is sent to those who are suffering. Uh, he's not going to be the Messiah they think he's going to be. Forgive him, be forgiven, and give him be given to you. Uh, can the blind lead the blind? This, these are these are also rabbinic sayings from this exact time. Uh, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. You know, obviously, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and the beam in your own. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor is bad fruit. Every tree is recognized as fruit. Do not pick figs. The important part about the, the national symbol of Israel at this time is the fig tree. So when you see Jesus talking about figs and fruit, that's what he's going after. Uh, the Sadducees, especially the temple, was all about the, the fig. The, the, a good measure, you know, I, I really like this part, the give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and put in your lap. So it's like this picture of someone going to the market and buying grain or something, and they've they put it into your into your bin that you're taking home, right? But before they take it, they shake it, you know, and like let it settle down as much, and then they put more in there. They shake it, like, and they pack it in there as good as they can. I just love that picture that, like, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. Give, and it'll be given to you. Like, in this, right. this picture of, like, abundant giving, abundant, like, you'll, you'll receive. For whatever measure you use will be measured to you. Right. So, so be generous. Be generous. Yeah. Like, be generous. Don't cheat people. But you know, yeah. Give them the full. And then he comes to the thing. Remember, the Pharisees are calling him Lord when he comes up. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Uh, anyone who comes to me and hears my word and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. And this is the uh, parable of, uh, you know, we all know the wise men built his house upon the rock, and we can all sing the song. Uh, and basically, that's what he said. He said, Yeah, build on me, I am the foundation. You will not collapse when the storms come. And so he's teaching. And when he finished it, he, all people listened, he entered Capernaum. So he's just outside Capernaum, goes into Capernaum, which is where he lives. Uh, a centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him and asked him to come and heal his servant. Uh, they came to Jesus and they pleaded earnestly, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and built our synagogue. As far as we know, there's one synagogue in Capernaum. It's not a huge city. Uh, this guy built it. Uh, and is not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to him and said, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I do not deserve you to have come under my roof. This guy knows Jewish law. Jews cannot enter the house of Gentiles. That makes you ceremonially important. I said, there are lots of rules. That's one of them. So he's telling him, 
I don't consider myself worthy to come to you, uh, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Uh, from a man of authority. Uh, and Jesus was a, heard this. He was amazed and turned to the ground around him and said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The man who had been returned, sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. In the book of Matthew, this is the, the only time he uses this word great faith is for this guy and the widow in Sodom. Two non-Jews. This guy's clearly not Jesus in turn. He's not a Jew. Uh, just to give you a little uh, cultural uh, layout of uh, they're basically guys have written lots of papers on the economics of Rome. This is kind of the seven, the seven layers. Most of the people Jesus is dealing with are these bottom two, subsistence, below subsistence. So about 68% of the population. Small farm laborers, widows, orphans, beggars. Uh, this guy was probably this. He's a one percenter. Uh, and there's, an, uh, there's another one here. Uh, in the entire Roman Empire, there's 2,500 centurions. Uh, and uh, if you really want a, an exciting paper to read, these got Milanovic writes all about ancient economics. Uh, but they figured out, like, oh, if, you have a, if you're a centurion, what, uh, what do you earn compared to everybody else? Uh, there's not, he said, basically, for most of the centurions, you're earning about 10 times the average income. Well, the income of a, uh, of a tradesman, someone who's skilled, not like a farmer or a worker. Uh, if this guy's, in fact, a legion commander, which it could be, the word, the word can be used interchangeably. There's only 50 of those. They earn, they earn about five times what a centurion so this guy is fantastically wealthy by first century standards. And you see, you know, what they, he, he is taking care of the Jews in his area. He's building, he's building their synagogue. He's taking, and they come to him, the Jews who are not supposed to have any Gentile friends, who hate the Romans, want the Romans dead, love this guy. And this guy, you know, you know the, the, Jew, the Jewish synagogue leaders going, hey, this guy really helps us. You, you should help him. So it shows you the uh, kind of the interchange. And, you know, this, we would consider this guy a godly man, even though he was a Roman centurion. And then after that, he went to a town towards Dan. Dan is down towards Nazareth. Uh, and uh, there was a dead person being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Remember, who was the seventh level? So, great widows, subsistence widows. Uh, and he saw her and said, Don't cry. And then, remember, he said he's always breaking the rules as he's walked along. Uh, he touched the beer again, makes him ceremony and clean. And said, Young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead guy comes back to life, gets up, gets off the stretcher. And they were awed and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. God has come to help his people. And so more news has gone around through Judea and the surrounding country. Uh, 
All right, and this is, gets back to what we started the book with. When uh, they talk about what's the Messiah going to do, John the Baptist, remember John is in prison. Jesus then starts the message when John's in prison. Uh, and he says, are you the one to come or to expect someone else? Uh, and then, so he's replied to him, go report to John what you have seen. This is from Isaiah. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. That's exactly what the Messiah is supposed to be doing according to Isaiah. That's what Jesus is doing here. Uh, and then, uh, basically he tells them, uh, who are you here? There's no one greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So basically, telling you John was great but every, everybody is going to be functionally the same in the kingdom of God because everyone's going to be blessed. And just to give you a, a little overview, Jesus is up here. Capernaum's up here. This is where he is. This is where John's in prison. Down here. This is where uh, uh, Antipas, who's here, kept all his prisoners down here. Because when John was preaching, he's preaching in this area. This is a fortress uh, that here Agrippa had to all the prisoners down there. So it would not be strange for John is in prison, he's not gonna get a lot of he's hearing rumors and echoes. He's you know, this is uh, this is a ten day good walk. So this is probably twelve days to there. So John's a long way away. So it's not like he's losing faith as much as he's just saying Tell me the truth. Is he, you know, is this what you're doing? All right. We're 1045. We'll hit this starting next week. All right. So we're almost to the end of chapter 8. It's chapter 834. All right. All right. See you all next week.